Well, good morning, Harmony. Good to be with you uh, here today. And I want to begin with a few instructions and encouragements regarding next weekend, which of course is Easter weekend. Uh, This year, of course, will be different for sure. And so I thought it would be helpful just to talk about a few things that will help us to make the most of our circumstances. Uh, We'll kick off Easter weekend with an online Good Friday service at 7 p.m. And this year, just to, to, to make sure that you're, you're with it, uh, our Good Friday service will be, of course, on, yes, Friday. Now, I know that's kind of lame, but, you know, help a brother out. It's a little hard speaking to an empty room. Anyway, our Good Friday service will include singing, praying, and teaching, and will be centered around communion. This means, of course, that you'll need to prepare for communion as you'll be partaking at home. So on one of your trips to the grocery store this week, make sure that you pick up something uh, to serve as the bread and the cup. We'll provide some helpful tips on this through our website and app later on in this week, but just note uh, that this is something that you'll need to prepare for. So that's Good Friday, and then on Easter Sunday morning, we'll have another online service at 10 a.m., And here's my encouragement regarding Easter. Wherever you're at and whomever you're with, celebrate big time. Some of you will like this suggestion and some of you won't, but maybe get dressed up. Put your Easter outfits on, get the kids ready, get their hair done, get them looking good, and take a picture of your family and post it on social media. Put a big Easter meal together and just have a great time on that day. But whatever you do, let's just celebrate big time. Let's make a big deal of it in some way. Well, pretty much every event over the last month has been canceled. You can't cancel Easter. People have been trying to do that for the last 2,000 years, but you can't do away with the resurrection. And so let's celebrate like that is the case. I'll let you decide how to do that, but let's do it nonetheless. Now, I want to take a moment also to encourage you about how much you're encouraging me. I can't tell you how thankful and delighted I am at how our church is responding in these difficult days. Specifically, I'm, I'm, really, I'm just overjoyed at how you're participating online, how you're continuing to support your church financially, and how you're being incredibly generous with those in our community. I know that these days are challenging, uh, but I'm just so, so thankful and thrilled with how you're responding. I just want to tell you today, Harmony, great job and keep it up. All right. I invite you to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter three, where today we're going to conclude our three-part series on trusting God in troubling times. It's hard to believe that this series is is gonna be done today. Here we are already uh, on our third week in Habakkuk. Um, And and while you're turning there to chapter three, it'll be uh, good for me to review what we've seen so far in chapters one and two. In these chapters, we found the prophet Habakkuk in a rather intense dialogue with God. It's actually a rather confrontational conversation in which Habakkuk is questioning what God is and isn't doing during the troubling times Habakkuk's living in. From this dialogue, we've learned four important things about troubling times. Number one, God's always in control, even when it appears that he isn't. Number two, 
God invites us to bring our troubles to him. When we're facing trouble, God urges us to walk towards him, not away from him. Number three, God brings about salvation out of trouble. God's working in the midst of our trouble to bring about our salvation. And number four, God brings about our salvation as we live by faith. We talked about this in depth last week, but the righteous shall live by faith. In fact, I think it'll be good for us today to just to say that all together again. The righteous shall live by faith. So, so you ready? Let's do it. One, two, three. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, today, we're going to finish this short series in Habakkuk by looking at a remarkable passage, a passage that I just absolutely love. It's a passage that shows us very practically how to live by faith, particularly in troubling times. Let me say this first, though. While many of us are facing difficulty right now, that's not the case for all of us. Some of us are, are actually relatively unaffected, at least so far. Some of us have jobs and or businesses that are still doing well, perhaps even better. Some of us aren't feeling a financial crunch. And some of us who are introverts are actually enjoying all this social distancing. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's you, right? You're, you're enjoying the social distancing. But what you need to understand is that I actually have about double the number of people living in my house that I normally do. So other than on Sundays, I'm actually experiencing less social distancing than I normally do. Regardless, even if this isn't particularly difficult time for you, you still really need to know how to trust God in troubling times. Here's why. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're going to experience troubling times at some point. Troubling times are inevitable for all of us living in this fallen world. That's really just our lot in life. For example, for me personally, at least to this point, I've not faced a lot of difficulty because of the coronavirus. I still have a job. My family is still healthy, and honestly, it's real blessing to have my kids at home, all of my kids at home, as well as a couple of their friends. So, so yes, there are some inconveniences for me in these days, but overall, I'm not struggling the way that a lot of people are. And yet, get this, just this week, two families that I'm very closely connected to lost loved ones in tragic ways. Both of these individuals were under 26 years of age, and it really had nothing to do with the coronavirus at all. It just happened to be that uh, they passed away this week for a couple of different reasons. And so this week has been really hard for me and my family, and it has had nothing to do really with the coronavirus. It's been hard because we live in a fallen world where suffering abounds. And of course, I tell you this to make the point that all of us desperately need to know how to live by faith in troubling times because at some point, we're guaranteed to experience troubling times. Now then, in chapter three, Habakkuk is going to show us that living by faith in troubling times means three things. It means requesting, remembering, and rejoicing. I will say them again. 
We live by faith in troubling times by requesting, remembering, and rejoicing. We see all three of these things in a prayer that Habakkuk prays in chapter three in response to what he has heard from God in chapters one and two. Let's look at that prayer now, picking up in verse two. Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk starts his prayer by affirming that he's heard of the works of the Lord and that he stands in all of them. Habakkuk's gonna rehearse these works, or at least some of these works, in verses three through 15, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before he, he gets to these great works that he had, he's heard that God has done, he first of all makes three requests. He pleads with God for three things. First, he pleads for life. In the midst of years, revive it means in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the difficulty that we're going through, Dear God, please give us life. Give me life. Now we have to remember that Habakkuk's just heard God say that the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so now what is he doing? Well, he's expressing faith in God. He's saying, if I'm going to make it through this, God, you've got to give me life. So I'm going to trust in you to give me that life. What Habakkuk's doing here is he's showing us that living by faith in troubling times means asking God to keep the promises that he has made. It means asking him to do what he has said he will do. Second, Habakkuk pleads for understanding. He asks God to give him the wisdom that he needs to make it through the ordeal that he is going through. This is similar to what David prays in Psalm 119. David says, your testimonies are righteous forever, so give me understanding that I may live. Living by faith means recognizing that if we're actually going to do so, we need God to to help us to do so, to show us how to live by faith. Third, Habakkuk pleads for mercy. He prays, in wrath, remember mercy. The word wrath here means trouble or turmoil. Here Habakkuk's praying in line with God's character. He knows that God's a compassionate God, that God is slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love. And so what he's saying is, God, will you please act in that way now to me, to us, to your people? He says, God, in the midst of your judgment, don't forget your character. Don't forget who you are. Don't neglect that you're a God who delights in mercy. I have to wonder if as he he prays this, Habakkuk is thinking about what another minor prophet wrote about a hundred years before his time. In Micah chapter seven and verse 18, Micah says this, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Get this, Harmony. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Harmony, we have a God who just delights to show mercy, to pour out his compassion on us. So living by faith in troubling times means asking him to do so. This is a prayer that I've been praying over the last several weeks for our church, for our country, and for our world. 
I've been praying regularly, God in wrath, in this troubling time, please remember your mercy. Brothers and sisters, we desperately, desperately need mercy. And yet we have a God who wants to, who delights to give that mercy. So let's in these days pray and plead with him to do what he loves to do and to in faith believe that he is going to do it. So that's requesting. Next in Habakkuk's prayer comes remembering. And once again, we see Habakkuk doing this in verses three through 15. We won't read these verses, but in them, Habakkuk uses a collage of images to rehearse how God had powerfully delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. The summary of all of this is found in verse 13, where Habakkuk emphasizes how in their exodus, God had showed up to save his people time and time again. Look at the first part of verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. In this remembering, Habakkuk shows us that living by faith means using our past experiences to give us a present expectation. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. Living by faith means using our past experience of salvation to give us a present expectation of salvation. In verse 16, Habakkuk's going to go on to say that he's going to wait patiently for God to save him. He's able to do this because he's been looking back at how God has saved his people in the past. He's able to trust God to save today because he's been spending time remembering how God has saved yesterday. And friends, listen, this is what we must do as well. We must continually remember how God powerfully worked in the past to give us our own exodus. How, through the cross and the resurrection, he has delivered us from sin, Satan, and death. You see, friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have experienced our own exodus, just like the people of Israel did, just like God powerfully worked to to save them from slavery, so too has he powerfully worked to save us from slavery. And one of the keys to living by faith in troubling times is, is remembering over and over again how he has done so. One of the reasons that I brought up earlier that that Easter is so important, it's so important to celebrate and to celebrate big time is what Easter does is it helps us to remember our freedom, our deliverance, the way that God saved us from slavery to sin, Satan, and death. That's what the cross and the resurrection do and that's why we need to celebrate and remember them really not just one day of the year but every day day of the year. This is really what I talk about with you all the time. It's about preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. That's what remembering is because in remembering, that's where we find the faith that we need to trust God in troubling times. Now, this really ties into the last part of Habakkuk's prayer, which is rejoicing. Living by faith in troubling times means requesting, remembering, And most of all, we're going to see rejoicing. Look at verses 16 through 19. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet 
I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Here in these verses, we see a complaining prophet being transformed into a rejoicing prophet. And in Habakkuk's transformation, we learn four critical things about rejoicing in troubling times. First, we learn that joy, rejoicing, and sorrow can coexist. We learn that rejoicing and sorrow can coexist. In the first part of verse 16, Habakkuk expresses intense grief and sorrow over the trouble that God's people are facing. He says that he's overwhelmed to the point that his body or his bowels, literally his bowels are trembling. Now, I won't go into detail to describe what that means, okay? But I think you kind of get the, the picture, all right? He's, he's sick to his, his stomach. He goes on to say that his lips are quivering, which means that he is, he's just weeping, probably weeping uncontrollably. He feels rottenness in his bones, which means that he is physically sick over all the emotional turmoil that he's going through. And then he says his legs are trembling, which means that he is shaken to the core. Verse 17 explains why he's feeling this way. He knows that the Chaldeans are about to invade and when they invade, they're going to leave him with nothing. We have to remember that Habakkuk lived in an agricultural society, a society that almost entirely depended upon agriculture. And when the Chaldeans invade, they're not gonna leave any agriculture left. What's more, Habakkuk doesn't say this here, but, but we know from history that they're also going to inflict mass casualties and they're gonna carry most of the rest of the people remaining off into captivity. And so Habakkuk is, is literally looking at losing absolutely everything, perhaps including his life. As a result, of course, he's broken. He's a wreck. And yet, at the same time, we see that in the second part of verse 16, he says he's going to wait quietly on the Lord. He's going to do what God told him to do in chapter 2 and verse 3. To quietly wait means to rest. Habakkuk says that even though he's a wreck, he's going to rest. What's more, in verse 18, he says that he's going to rejoice. He's a wreck, but he's going to rest and rejoice. Now, let's be honest. We're not used to thinking that these things can go together. We, we don't believe today that you can both be a wreck and also rest and rejoice. We think it's going to be one or the other, right? However, we see lots of examples in Scripture where these two things actually do together. They do go together. Take Job, for instance, who as he's mourning his great losses, he says this. He says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
He's sorrowful, he's grieving, but he's rejoicing. Then there's the Apostle Paul, who describes himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And of course, there's Jesus. Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane is so overwhelmed at the freight train of God's wrath that is bearing down upon him that he sweats great drops of blood. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is a wreck, and yet we, we know from Hebrews 12, 2, that Jesus also endured the cross with joy. Jesus simultaneously both mourned and rejoiced over the cross. So listen closely here. On the one hand, this tells us that it's okay to be a wreck when we suffer. It means we can and even should grieve in troubling times. Let me be clear. It's good and right to be filled with sorrow over the pain that sin has brought into our world. If you're upset right now, if you're hurting, if you're sorrowful, if you're grieving, if this is just emotionally difficult for you, that is okay. That is okay. It's okay to, to, to be sorrowful. It's okay to grieve. And yet, at the same time, this also shows us that we can rejoice in the midst of sorrow. We can and we should rejoice when we're troubled, not just when we aren't. So, so you know, we, we naturally will say, yeah, I, I get rejoicing when there's no trouble, but how can I rejoice when there is trouble? That's what we're talking about here, rejoicing in the midst of trouble. So how do we rejoice in the midst of trouble? Well, we do so by recognizing that rejoicing is a choice, not a feeling. Let me say that again. Rejoicing is a choice, not a feeling. Verse 18 is the key verse in our text. There Habakkuk says, not once but twice, get this, I will rejoice. He says, even though my circumstances are terrible, even though I feel like my world is being ripped apart, and actually it was being ripped apart, I'm going to choose to rejoice. In Philippians chapter four, pretty famous verse, but Paul commands us New Testament believers to do what? To rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I say, I will say, rejoice. You see, rejoicing is a discipline. It's something that we have to repeatedly choose to do. Rejoicing is kind of like exercising. If we only exercise when we feel like it, we won't do it all that often. Some of us won't do it at all. Instead, what we have to do is we have to make ourselves exercise, especially when we don't feel like it. And that's how it works with rejoicing. We have to discipline ourselves to do it, even, especially, even and especially when we don't feel like it. My wife actually modeled this for me this week. As I said earlier, uh, this is a pretty hard week for my family. And yet, as we went throughout the week, I saw my wife over and over again choosing to rejoice. 
I watched her choose to, to praise the Lord, to worship him, even though I knew that she didn't feel like it. Now, you might be like, well, what do we rejoice in if we can't rejoice in our circumstances? What do we rejoice in if we don't feel like rejoicing? Well, that's where the third thing we learn about rejoicing here in chapter three comes in. Note that Habakkuk says that he is going to rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is what Paul is saying in Philippians 4, right? He tells us that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Therefore, the object of rejoicing is God. Let me get a little more specific. We can, all the time and any time, rejoice in how God has saved us. In fact, this is what Habakkuk does in verse 18. He rejoices in God's salvation. This shows us that no matter what we're going through, we can still rejoice that God has saved us. We can remember how he has freed us from sin, Satan, and death and rejoice in that freedom. We can rejoice in our salvation. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus' disciples return from their first short-term missionary trip, rejoicing in the great success that they've experienced. They're particularly excited that they've been able to cast out demons. Now, if you're casting out demons, if the demons are, are subject to you, then you are having a very, very successful ministry experience. That's like the pinnacle of ministry success. But in response, Jesus tells them, hey, don't rejoice in that, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word written there means engraved. It means that they are permanent. In other words, Jesus says, you need to rejoice that your salvation is permanent, that there is nothing that can ever take that away from you. You see, the disciples were going to experience times where they weren't going to have a whole lot of ministry success. And so if they're rejoicing dependent upon their circumstances, there'll be lots of times where they aren't gonna rejoice. And so what Jesus tells them is, here's what you need to rejoice in. You need to rejoice in the one thing that can never be taken away from you, and that is your salvation. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we can know that our names are written in heaven. They are engraved there, which means they can never be erased. That if we are saved, we are going to be saved forever, ever. And there is nothing that can take that away from us. And therefore, that means that no matter what is going on, we can rejoice in our salvation, in what our great God has done for us through his son. Here's the fourth and final thing we learn about rejoicing from Habakkuk. We learn that rejoicing is the key to triumph in troubled times. Rejoicing is the key to triumph in troubled times. Hear me well. Victory, when we're in trouble, comes from rejoicing in the Lord. Habakkuk shows us this in verse 19 when he says that God is his strength. God the Lord is my strength. That's really just another way to say that he is rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord and that's what gives him strength. So think Nehemiah chapter eight where Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
And what does Habakkuk experience as a result of rejoicing in the Lord? Well, he finds that God gives him what he needs to navigate the difficult days ahead. The imagery in the second part of verse 19 is of a deer on the mountaintops. Deer have been specially fitted, or should I say, feeded by God to navigate difficult and dangerous terrain. When I think of this verse, I can't help but think of the many trips to the mountains of West Virginia that I have taken uh, to hunt white-tailed deer. So um, I probably have some West Virginia family watching today, so here's a shout-out to, to all of you. Uh, but if you've been around Harmony for any time, you know that both of my parents are from West Virginia. And so every Thanksgiving, my dad and I go back for our annual deer hunting trip. And here's what I invariably experience in each and every hunting trip. I experience deer, okay, very easily, very nimbly navigating some very rocky and treacherous terrain while I attempt to what my wife would say, catch them. You don't catch a deer, but that's, you know, what my wife seems to think over and over again. But anyway, the deer have a really easy time on the difficult terrain, on the treacherous terrain. But what I find is that I have a very, very difficult time navigating it to the point that I regularly, almost severely injure myself. The deer, however, don't have that difficult of a time because God has equipped them to be able to navigate that terrain with ease. And so what Habakkuk is telling us here is he's telling us is that when we rejoice in the Lord, that when we find joy in the God of our salvation, that he equips us just like he equips the deer to be able to navigate our difficult and troubled times that we find ourselves in. When we rejoice in the Lord, he gives us what we need to triumph in troubled times. I want you to note that Habakkuk never suggests here in chapter three that God's going to prevent the troubled times from coming. He never even hints that if Habakkuk just has enough faith that God will take the difficulty away. Instead, he shows us that when we rejoice in him, God does something better. He gives us what we need, not just to survive troubled times, but to thrive in them. There's actually something else here in this mountaintop imagery. You know, in ancient times, you actually wanted to live on the mountaintops. And you wanted to live on the mountaintops because it was the safest place to be. Your enemies couldn't, or it would be really hard for them to attack you uphill. It was a place that gave the great, greatest vantage point, the greatest perspective. It provided the greatest possible safety that you could have. Now, it, it was dangerous, of course. Okay? It was difficult to get up there. But if you were able to be up there and you were able to live up there, that's when you experienced the best possible safety and experience you could have. So you see, friends, when we rejoice in, in troubled times, what that enables us to do is it enables us to have a new perspective. It enables us to experience things that we wouldn't be able to experience any other way. It enables us to understand and to know God better than we would ever be able to in any other way. I think of Job chapter 20 or 23 in verse 10, probably the key verse in Job 
where Job says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My friends, this is really my hope and prayer for our church in these challenging days. I hope and pray. And as I said earlier, I think we can even see this a little, that we will not only survive what's happening right now, but we will thrive in it. That through this time where God is, is, is trying us, where there is a trial, we're gonna come forth as gold. And here's how we can do so. We can do so by disciplining ourselves to rejoice in the Lord, to over and over again rejoice in what he has done for us in Jesus, to continually remember the gospel and take joy in that gospel regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in. And maybe today you're thinking, you know, there's no way that I can possibly do that. But I'm here to tell you, that you can. You might not think that this is possible for you. I'm here to tell you that it is. If Habakkuk could rejoice in the circumstances that he was facing, you can rejoice in the circumstances that you are facing. You see, you have just as much reason to rejoice as Habakkuk did. Actually, you have even more. You see, you're able to see God's salvation much more clearly than Habakkuk did. He only had the promise of a savior. You can see that savior. You know that savior's name. You know his cross. You know his empty tomb. And so, Harmony, in these troubling days, let's rejoice in the cross. Let's rejoice in the resurrection. Let's rejoice in our salvation and experience victory in troubled times as we do so. Will you pray with me here today?